0: So you're telling me if man is against everything that you are for and for everything that you are against, that as long as he's got an R by his name, that's who you're voting for. Mm -hmm. Over and above the guy that is for everything you're for and against everything you're against, that's got a D by his name. And he said, yes. I said, that makes no sense. That's called voting against your own interests based on a political party and and i got news for you when they all get up there in washington they all go to the same parties together
1: (laughs) they got more in common with each other than they do with us
0: absolutely
1: it's just they're they're just a vehicle for what we want and we've forgotten that
0: yeah well we forgot um, we've forgotten how to use that yeah Hey y'all, and welcome back to Gramps Place, where my guests and I discuss all things of public interest and anything else that might need a little change in, in the good old USA. From ending the drug war and freeing those wrongfully imprisoned for crimes that have no victim, to making government more like what our forefathers intended of we the people again. I talk with doctors, scientists, politicians, and more, so you can make your own decisions on important issues in the USA. This episode is part two with my guest, Michael Rosino, the assistant professor of sociology from Molloy College in Long Island, New York. He's the author of the book, Debating the Drug War, Race, Politics, and the Media, which was published in March of 2021. Let's get back to the conversation with Michael.
1: I think it undermines not only like, you know, what you're saying, like, You know, it creates a false division, but it also, you know, it limits our imaginations. You know, we're having we just Mm -hmm. had this conversation about what would the world look like if we ended the world, the war on drugs? You know, if you're concerned about the agenda of a certain political party, you can't even imagine that because neither one of them is proposing it. It's not it's not on the debate stage. It's not being talked about on, on the news in the same way. So no. yeah, I think that does a lot of damage to what people can imagine in terms of what uh what kind of world we wanna live in. So yeah, I mean I think so. And then and then as you mentioned, kind of the influence of of money in politics obviously also um makes change incredibly difficult. It it always is gonna have to be bottom up, it's gonna have to be local first and and I think that's what we're seeing. There's going to have to be such a massive consensus on these issues that is so apparent that it's considered a safe issue for these mainstream politicians to try to feel comfortable going with that. Wow. Um, it's it's such an uphill battle. I, I I can understand why people get burnt out, but it's it's important to I think you know be clear-eyed about it, so we don't get so caught up in in. Thinking that we have interests in common as just regular people with these elite politicians who live in a completely different reality than us.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's crazy uh, how little we get done Mm
1: -hmm.
2: uh,
0: because of the simple fact that too many people are paying attention to to the whole rhetoric and not the real issues. You know, I, I tell people all the time. That Some of these issues, and some people agree with me when I explain it to them, some people disagree, you may disagree, but but some of the issues that each side even uses as their their keystone issues are, are issues that can't even be changed without changing the Constitution, like the Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. uh you know like issues about immigration immigration is an issue that is set forth in the constitution of the United States the only way to change it is to change the constitution and 99% of the voting population doesn't mm-hmm. understand that fact
1: <laughs> yeah well, i think you know i think i think that's a valid point that some of these some of these like i said you know the United States i often say that it's a country constituted by contradictions Mm-hmm. Because I'm a, I'm a big nerd and I like alliteration, but I think also it's, it's, these are some of the things that we're kind of grappling with is, you know, we, we, there is a certain path or a certain framework that's, that's laid down that there's a lot of room. I, I will say, you know, one thing that I would, I would push back on a little bit is, is there is a lot of room for interpretation. There's well, a lot of room for interpretation. And I think that is worth, um, Politicizing, I think that's worth turning into a space of action. You know, so it's one thing if it says something in the Constitution. But if the Supreme Court interprets it a certain way, that matters way more than what it actually says, you mm-hmm. know, and let's not pretend that that the uh, these guys with powdered wigs necessarily knew that we were going to be like talking to each other over the Internet e- either. Yeah, so we have a host of modern contemporary challenges that there's just no clear guidance on even if we want to defer to to the, something like the constitution so you know i think i think when it comes to even things like immigration like there's a lot of room for reform i think when it comes to um you know gu- policies around guns and gun ownership and uh you know those kinds of things i think there's a lot of room for reform there's a lot of room for interpreting sure. those things Sure. But uh I do agree with you that that neither one of the major parties has you know economic like real the real economic health of the country in terms of everyday people as their core issue which I think would be a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not one of these commentators though that thinks that that you know um there is uh, necessarily like it's not a zero sum thing. So I don't think activists focusing on racial inequalities necessarily takes away from our ability to focus on class issues. I don't, I don't see it like that, but I do think that the major parties take on issues that um, are not substantive. Maybe they're symbolic, maybe they're culture issues. We're seeing a lot of culture war stuff kind of popping up
2: Mm -hmm. that,
1: you know when you really think about it what are the impacts of of this is just like maybe you know whether or not something can be taught in a classroom which i don't want as a as an educator i can't possibly uh you know tell you how important that is but in terms of how it impacts the average everyday person you know i think that that there should be a requirement for politicians to have to say this is what I'm going to do. This is how it's going to impact the average family. I'm going to stick through to this. There should be accountability. Um, and, and that should be the messaging. But but I think you're right that a lot of it is rhetoric. I mean, think about you know people who uh, get elected off of their personalities or their charisma, for instance. I think we've had several presidents in recent memory that have been elected, I would say, off of pure charisma and that people like the way they talk. Whether sure. it's uh, Trump and people saying, well, I like the way he talks because he is, you know, plain spoken and he he says these kinds of, of things that maybe people say quietly, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, or whether it's Obama having this very flowery language that he's using to talk about things, but ultimately not in, in, enacting a lot of, of really meaningful structural changes, um, You know, I think I think that's that's a big issue right now. And, uh, you know, this is something that I'm I'm fascinated by is, you know, we think of charisma as being really problematic when we're talking about like a cult leader or something. But we see it as a good thing when it's a politician. But I do really worry, as I'm sure you do, that 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 gets us further and further away from having these real conversations, because now we're talking about a person. How do you feel about this individual person? It's like what I care about is how what they're going to do impacts me and the people I care about and, and the other people, um, who are alive right now. Like that matters way more than whether or not I want to go like sit down and have a beer with Joe Biden or something.
0: Yeah. I think, I think lar- largest part of our problem politically as a country. And, and again, this is my opinion. I'm just one man, but I've watched it for many a many years with a very intent attitude. Right. But, um, I I still think, and and that's what I mean by bringing up the whole rhetoric subject, that that this rhetoric not only has the voting population blinded from reality of of what actually makes our government work and tick. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the president's office, while it is an important position, and they do have uh, a a lot of power uh, as far as a one person, but Uh, they're not all powerful and Mm -hmm. when it comes to the actual governing of our nation they're more of a pomp and circumstance, I'm the picture on the postcard kind of position Mm
2: -hmm.
0: whereas the nuts and bolts is the House of Representatives and the Senate Mm -hmm. And, and then you've got over here on the side, you've got the Supreme Court that says yeah that goes along with the Constitution no it doesn't Right. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is you've got the bodies themselves that are so caught up in the rhetoric. And well, you, you, for instance, you can have a subject that's we're, we've been talking about a lot here, cannabis and cannabis legalization. The whole, the whole subject line has been for the most part, a democratic topic. And now all of a sudden the Republicans are jumping in at the national scene with their own bills, right? Why? We agree on it. But why can't you just say, okay, I'm going to sign on to your bill. It's a good bill, but I think we need to do this and this to it. Mm-hmm. We can I'll put my name on it. You know, that's the way things used to get done. That's mm-hmm. the way things still get done at the state level. And the problem we, we are we have is we can't, oh, no. We can't do that because that's a Democrats bill or, oh, no, we can't do that because the Republicans said it first. And mm-hmm. and the the reason we're in that position is largely due to the media. But it's also mm-hmm. largely due to the, the voting population has gotten stuck in this rut of I mm-hmm. have to vote one way. And that's the only way I can vote. Yeah. Whereas we're, we're, we should be voting for people mm-hmm. not parties you know and absolutely and that's what we've gotten away from as a voting population but and it's it's everybody's fault it's the voters mm-hmm. fault it's the media's fault and it's the politicians fault i'm i'm elated because i'm seeing the the number of long-term seat holders that are th- throwing in the towel and saying i'm done after this run mm mm-hmm. mhm you know, I, I'd like to see a few more from the other side, from the Republican side, do it. Most of them have been Democrats so far. But uh, I, I'd like to see a two-thirds of both chambers be completely switched over to new people, in my opinion.
1: Absolutely. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think the more that people are in politics, the more that they treat that as— you know, their job isn't to govern. Their job is to get reelected. Yeah. I think that that introduces a bunch of perverse incentives, where people who have been in office for a long time, they're spending way more time meeting with with wealthy donors. They're spending way more time meeting with, uh, you know, the the high profile constituents than they are even actually working. So, like, I think that's part of also what leads to a lot of this gridlock even on issues where there's a large consensus. I mean, I think,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, support for legalizing cannabis at the national level is now in the 70s. I remember, you know, it was maybe about a decade ago, it was, uh, had first sort of reached uh, a national sort of majority. And that was considered a big deal because mm-hmm. it was considered a little bit of a, you know, this is a controversial issue. You don't want to be seen as, uh, you know, supporting drug use. And we've seen it become more and more normalized, mostly because of the work of, of activists and people people raising uh, awareness, um, as well as as people being willing to take that risk of, of you know, um, putting their neck out for it. But I also think you know it really is a sad state when you can have that much consensus on an issue where you know maybe we disagree and a lot of my my book that i just wrote talks about the 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 how and why that that a lot of people disagree on but when there's that much of a consensus on any issue you know you would expect for that to be kind of a home run but i think exactly the kind of issues that you're talking about the the partisanship and the sort of uh, you know my team versus your team, the the competitiveness, the horse race of it all. How is this going to impact me getting reelected? How is this going to impact you know my my party? Um, you know as as a as a researcher, you know so many things that you're saying are borne out by research and, and theory. You know there's an idea that uh you know there was a certain point in history where being a politician became a job, and you know, before that it was just considered sort of a volunteer type of position. So we have that, we have all those incentives that go along with how much Mm -hmm. money they can make or, you know, having all that stuff. But then also, uh, I think another big part of it is we are in a really unique, uh, country in terms of, of this, this bipart, you know, the, the two parties and, and the Founding Fathers, uh, obviously, very mixed legacy, you know, depending on, on who you talk to. But but one thing that that they did kind of agree on was that political parties and, and the formation of parties would be really bad. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to see that kind of gridlock just really doubling down every four years. Um, yeah, and I agree with you. That's one of the reasons I've been so fascinated by what I call like grassroots parties, because I think... At the local level at the state level is where you can see some people outside of of that two-party system kind of actually getting involved um, in in local elections getting involved in in supporting friends families community members who are trying to run for office like I think that kind of movement is really big and uh, you know that, that there is any kind of accountability I think it seems to be taking place on that level because of that.
0: Yeah, there's there's two hashtags I was using. I tried to get something started here in Texas a couple of years ago, uh, after the the Texas legislative session ended in 2019, uh, along the lines of what I'm talking about, and and basically, um, basically it was, I called it was Texans for Politicians for the People, mm-hmm. and and I I had a pretty decent little group of people. Following going there at the beginning, but then it just kind of died as fast as it got going. But the whole premise was is people over politics, number one, mm-hmm. and number two, that we are the change that we need. It's it's up to the the voters.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I, I hear so many people talk about the very things we're talking about. You know, well, I've got a vote right, I got a vote left, I got red, blue. You know, my dad. God love him. He's 85 years old. Uh, I don't argue with him much, but this one particular day, I couldn't help but argue with him. We used to argue all the time, mind you, but uh, I don't much anymore, you know. But uh, one day, this is back before uh, the last presidential election, and we were, we were talking just about the election upcoming, you know, not just presidential, but other races here locally, et cetera. And uh, he made a comment that just blew my mind. And it was, I don't care if I disagree with every blankety-blankety thing they say. If there's an R by their name, that's who I'm voting for. And I said, Dad, did you hear what you just said? (laughs) And he just kind of looked at me like I was stupid. I said, literally, did you hear what you just said? Because it's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. And he said, so you think I'm dumb, huh? I said, no, I think that one statement is dumb. <laughs> 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 got to clarify. And I said, that, that, that so you're telling me if man is against everything that you are for and for everything that you are against, that as long as he's got an R by his name, that's who you're voting for. Over and above the guy that is for everything you're for and against everything you're against that's got a D by his name. And he said, yes. I said, that makes no sense. That's called voting against your own interests yep. based on a political party. And And I got news for you. When they all get up there in Washington, they all go to the same parties together.
1: <laughs> they got more in common with each other than they do with us.
0: Absolutely.
1: It's just they're they're just a vehicle for what we want, and I, we've forgotten that.
0: Yeah. Well, we but forgot uh, we've forgotten how to use that.
1: Yeah. You I know.
0: Think,
1: yeah. No, I th- I think you're absolutely right, and and I think you know one of the things that that we underestimate sometimes is the power of just having conversations with people sure. about these things, and I think. That's a lot of work that, that happens behind the scenes. The fact that we, you know, when we're passionate about these issues, we do take the time to talk to friends and family members about them. You know, one of the things that I've I've really had to learn if um if I'm doing all this research and, and trying to understand all these issues, that I have to be able to have conversations with my family members, conversations with with my neighbors. You know, and and not lose them with a bunch of academic jargon, but also learn to listen to people and and hear them out. Mm -hmm. Um, even if I disagree, and even if, you know, maybe maybe they're they're saying something they don't realize is a paradox or a contradiction. I I think, you know, maybe the, the difference is your your father was very candid. Very willing to say say that part out loud and I think a lot of people just do that and don't say it out loud, but when you hear it out loud it's uh yeah it's kind of surprising it's kind of surprising what what people will will think about and and how they'll uh you know explain why they do what they do and and that's you know when i when I use these terms like uh you know democratic imagination or political meanings. You know, that, that example that you just gave is exactly what I'm talking about. It's how we how we make sense of what we're doing. You know, yeah. that that really matters and, and having people, you know, think about it and really try to reflect about okay, why am I voting like this? Why am I getting involved this way? You know, that can be a really uncomfortable process too. So, you know, one of the things that, that I often think about is how can how can we make people uncomfortable in in a productive way how can how can that conflict be be something productive rather than destructive because we we know what the destructive conflict looks like you just have to go online and you see it sure but there's also so much potential if if we can be willing to to have uncomfortable conversations if we can be willing to sit with contradictions that's where growth comes from that's where people figure things out so you know, I think I think that's another one of the things that that I see as a big a big uh, space is just like everyday life, having conversations, being being willing to know when when a conflict is productive and when it's destructive. That can be yeah. really helpful. And I think you know, even I think about this with teaching, but I also think about this just in terms of when I'm out in the world talking to people. You know, I mean. I live, I live in a in a community that is uh, I live in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, which you know I think is is extremely progressive. People are very comfortable talking about politics if I'm if I'm you know out and about at a bar or something. But you know I, there's still going to be a lot of disagreements and contradictions that that uh, you know you have to really be comfortable with and be willing to kind of push people on. Do it in a way that comes from a place of kindness. And that yeah. that is a real struggle. And that's, I think, uh, how it comes, you know, because we don't have acts. We don't have influence in the same way that politicians do. We don't have influence in the same way that media corporations do. But what we have is the ability to have conversations. And you, you have a platform with, with the podcast, which I think is really great in terms of, you know, having these conversations and, and recording them and, and people can come back to them. Um, you know, and I try to see a lot of the things that I'm doing that way. Um, and a lot of it is a snowball effect. So we might not see the fruits of some of these difficult conversations. We might not see where it leads, you know, right now, but you just keep doing it. You keep having these conversations. You keep grappling with the contradictions. You keep being willing to have a little bit of of discomfort and conflict with people to push things uh, forward or help people figure things out. That's a part of the work that isn't very glamorous, but it's. I, I think it's important. I think it's the backbone of of where people actually develop their sense of 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 who they are and their sense of what they want. Um, you know, it's as it's it's as much about the media as it is about like the relationships that we have with the people around them. So, yeah. you know, so, some someone feeling very identified with a political party might not even just be that they're duped by the media or something. It might also be that their, you know, their friends, the people that they're around, their community might might be pushing them to feel like they need to uh, be a certain way politically in order to be accepted. Like there's all kinds of 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 other aspects that are just about our communities and our relationships. So those those communities and relationships are also a great way of getting involved that doesn't that doesn't have the same level of red tape and barriers and stuff as like running for office. So I definitely don't want to dismiss. You know, those conversations, I don't want to dismiss, you know, what what the old school activists would have called consciousness raising, where you just you sit down, you talk about an issue that's impacting you. And through that conversation, you identify points of similarity you identify maybe opportunities that you didn't see before you start identifying ways that maybe you know your interests align with someone else and it's all just through that through that conversation through that that uh you know that interaction so i think one thing is like people feel very isolated and very cynical right now and i think the that you know if you pay too close attention to the media uh, you pay too much attention to certain areas of the Internet. It's going to only amplify that feeling. So, I mean, one of my thoughts is like for people to just try to break out of that and just start trying to have some of these conversations, even if they're uncomfortable. Yeah. I think that that's a big that's a big part of it.
0: Yeah, there, there's a guy in my office that, and we don't agree on everything, you know, <laughs> and from time to time, our discussions will get pretty heated. And, Mm -hmm. and, and he'll either walk out of my office or I'll walk out of his, you know, like, okay, fine, whatever, walk out, you know, piss on you, I'm done. And, uh, you know, 20 minutes later, the other one will walk back into the other's office and we'll laugh about it. And, Mm -hmm. and we'll talk about it more, you know, uh, and, and that's what people can't, can't seem to do anymore. They get to that heated point and then, well, that's it. We've shut down. Our opinion is our opinion. Yours is yours. Mm -hmm. And and we're done, you know, and that's a lot of what I think Congress does, too, in this day Mm -hmm. and age, you know, used to and the way it was intended. Like I started to say before, it's supposed to be a work in progress. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be a group of ideas brought together collectively. And then we pull out of that group of ideas what's best for the nation as a whole. That's mm-hmm. what it's supposed to be, and the problem is we've got uh, uh, you know people like Nancy Pelosi who's been in there since 1980, mm-hmm. you know, and Chuck Schumer, and then you know on the, the other side of the coin you got Mitch McConnell, and, mm-hmm. and you know I could sit here and name all these people that've been <laughs> there for 30 and 40 freaking yep. years, you know, and and that's the problem. It's all mm-hmm. a partisan deal anymore, and it's not about. uh Let's what's gonna what what's gonna make this country continue number one
2: mm-hmm. because
0: it could end. There's no doubt about it. Democracies democracies have ended before. You mm-hmm. know uh, what's gonna make it continue on the current path of of going up, not down. And uh, you know how do we get there collectively? Mm-hmm. What's best for everybody, not just a few. And generally, if you want to do approach it that way everybody benefits including the mm-hmm. few you know mm-hmm. and the few usually are the ones that benefit the most no matter what mm-hmm. so they just need to shut up get out of the way and let things happen the way they need to in my opinion but you know i
1: i i think that is really you know you're really i think honing in on this this kind of issue that that i think you know that is once again that's a bipartisan issue that that People who really buy into a particular party, I think, get blinded by is that on on both sides, there are entrenched uh, leaders who have been there for decades, particularly in Congress, who really kind of are there to align their rhetoric as a party with the interests of the super elites, and to to do that transaction, that's that's why they are where they are, they are, unfortunately. And I think, you know, that's why we benefit so much from breaking out of these boxes. You know, the, the, and, and I will say this, I, I can also understand why people get uh, why people don't always want to debate every little issue. I think I think that I do understand. Sure. So I can imagine, you know, if, if you're part of a group of if you're part of a let's say an oppressed group and what's up for discussion is whether or not you should have access to human rights you know it's kind of hard to say hey let's just sit sit around and have a conversation about this you know I, yeah. I i can understand you know why that would be difficult and i can understand why that wouldn't be but that's what i'm saying about the difference between productive and and destructive conflict And I think that's that's what we've lost sight of, you know, yeah, there's productive and there's destructive.
0: And and we're going to have to have the productive type as Mm -hmm. a voting body. It's going to start, like you say, it's from the bottom up.
3: Pardon this short break for a word from our sponsors. Hey, y'all, are you enjoying the guests and subjects Gramps is bringing you each week? Did you know Gramps does this all on his own? No production team and no producers. Just Gramps. Please consider making a monthly contribution to help Gramps continue to do what he does in an effort to educate, agitate, and motivate millions to get involved. It is as easy as clicking on the link in the show description that says, support this podcast. It can be as little as 99 cents per month. As always, Gramps thanks you for listening and for your support. Welcome back to Gramps Place, the podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about all things of public interest.
0: It's got to start with us. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And that's what I can't get so many people. You know, I try to have these conversations with anybody and everybody I can, (laughs) you know, and hopefully... Maybe this will spark a few for a few, you know, people that listen and and say, hmm, you know, that made a lot of sense. Hopefully, Hopefully. Keep my fingers <laughs> crossed. <laughs> but uh, you know, you're right. These kind of conversations are what's going to to get the voting body talking. Mm-hmm. And the voting body is what's got to come to a consensus. We don't don't mean we have to agree on every issue. The the issue at hand right now, in my opinion, like we're talking about is this deadlock situation where nothing's getting done and, and we've been there too long now and we can't continue on this path. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, the thing, there are things getting done. They're just not, they're just not great. You know, they, they can, they can pass, uh, the things that get done are like, okay, we're going to, we got to give the Pentagon more money.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You
1: know, those kinds of things always get done. Things
0: beyond the budget need to get done. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. They're, they're, so, you know, they can give the Pentagon more money than the Pentagon even asked for, and mm-hmm. you know, just keep keep doing that kind of stuff. There, there is a bipartisan sort of consensus on a lot of these issues. Raising defense spending is one. Protecting Wall Street is another one. I think that's become pretty apparent to people. Yeah. And so. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the one of the issues that that we really face is you know, and there this is where, you know, I know critical race theory is like very uh controversial, but there's one idea that's in critical race theory that I think is really valid uh, you know, among others, which is this idea of interest convergence, basically meaning that in order for regular people or even marginalized folks to achieve uh progress to to achieve their goals or change a policy unfortunately with the way that things are set up they have to find an interest in common with some type of powerful group in order to even have that happen you yeah. it can't it's not enough just for it to be okay this is going to help a group of people that's suffering Um, You know, and that's that was written about it in the context of some of the civil rights reforms in the 60s. But I see it pretty strongly in in the conversation we're having about, um, you know, drug policy, for instance. So certainly there could potentially be a huge interest, uh, you know, convergence between uh, people who want to be involved in the cannabis industry and people who support uh these reforms for humanitarian and, and, and um social justice issues. I think there's there's some potential there, but it's gonna take it's gonna take some negotiations. And sure. it is gonna that and that's where it's gonna come down to the the how and, and why is because from a very pragmatic perspective, and and this is you know gonna sound really cynical, but I think the thing that we're seeing, whether it's from the COVID-19 epidemic or, or even issues like the environment, uh you can't you can't actually unfortunately seem to get change done within the current system without also aligning your interests with someone who already has a lot of power. That's that's uh that's a hard truth to kind of to kind of think about it. And then it, it you know it makes you think a little bit differently about how to be strategic about all this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But I mean, we got a lot of work to do, no doubt. Question is, absolutely. are we up for the task? Yeah.
1: Well, the, ta- the task is up for us. So we got to do it. Yeah. We don't have a choice.
0: Uh, no doubt. If, if, if people just give up, then we're doomed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, we've got to keep having these conversations, most certainly.
1: Yeah. I, I, I want to say, you know, one thing that I'm thinking about as we have this conversation is, you know, for, for listeners, I want to, I want to encourage all of you to kind of go beyond the, 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 you know, go beyond the horse race mentality about politics and also go beyond thinking about just what's happening at the federal level. And I think there, you know, no matter who you are and where you live, if you're passionate about drug policy reform, which you probably are, if you're listening to this, there are probably other people in your community. There are organizations. There are already people doing the work. It's not like we have to do this on our own. So I think yeah. that's another thing that I think about is like people don't always realize that, you know, there are already people that you can support. There are already organizations. There are already groups that are doing this work. So anything that you're interested in, it's actually never been easier to get involved because of the internet you could do some research you can find other people um and i think i think that's a big thing that we often don't don't think about is you know our worldview is really shaped by you know like we've been talking this big uh horse race that's going on and that's what we think politics is a lot of times this big horse race between the republicans and the democrats we don't you know we don't think about politics in terms of like democracy in terms of our relationships with other people in our community, and even in terms of just our associations, you know, who we associate with, what, uh, you know, what are we putting our energy towards, like all those kinds of things matter as much as who do we vote for. And it also matters probably a lot more than, you know, these big outcomes that, that are very eye-catching, because what's behind that big outcome is a whole lot of legwork that we didn't see. So, you know, when cannabis gets legalized in different states, you see you see the politicians signing the paperwork, you see the headline, but what's invisible to all that is the activism, the community engagement, the people who've gone out of their way to actually have these difficult conversations, the people who, you know, were willing to make compromises, the people who are willing to deal with a little bit of conflict. So, you know the more that that i can encourage people to kind of think of of democracy as something active that you do rather than something that um you know is just like every 4 years or something that you read about in a newspaper the state of our democracy mm-hmm. i think the more that we can go from being uh you know overwhelmed to feeling at least somewhat empowered to yeah. um you know to, to 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 do stuff to get involved because you know I think that, you know, the, the people that are in power actually would, would be totally fine with us, you know, not uh, being active. You know, if, if we just showed I'm up sure to vote every four <laughs> years, if we just showed up to vote every four years, we vote for either uh, one party or the other, and then we go home, and now we have our right to complain about it. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, they win. <laughs> that's what they yeah, want. so absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and so – And I think, like I said, the media gives you a very distorted view of these issues. Because, you know, when you even think about when the news is running a story, and this is something I thought about when I was writing my book, when I started analyzing newspapers and how they talk about the war on drugs, there's even a question of like, who are they turning to as experts or information? You know, so many times, somebody's writing a story about drug policy, I'm going to talk to... Politicians. I'm going to talk to the police. I'm going to get their side of the story. I'm going to write it up, and that's going to be how I talk about it, how I frame it. Um, and so I also think, you know, another thing that I've really been 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 uh, pushing and, and really like active about is the fact that there needs to be much more uh, influence over these media narratives, even at the local level, even shaping local stories. That are coming from impacted communities, telling the stories of people who are actually impacted by the war on drugs. You know, someone, someone like yourself, and telling the the stories of all the activists that are that are on the ground, actually trying to change things as well, or even talking to people like me who are, you know, have dedicated their careers to trying to understand these things. You know, oftentimes the media is going to turn to the most quote-unquote legitimate. government sort of of uh, figureheads to even kind of help them shape and frame those stories and a lot of organizations have have really not understood the massive role that they can take in forming relationships with with journalists and and news outlets and and being able to to help provide those those sound bites and and shape the agenda for for too long a lot of reform organizations have focused on how can we frame this issue so that it appeals to um, the conversation we're already having rather than how can, how can we actually shape the conversation? And I'm seeing more organizations, like I want to give a big shout out to do the drug policy Alliance. I think that they are doing yeah. some really remarkable work to shape the conversation about drug policy reform. And they've been behind You know, some of the best, uh, in my opinion, some of the best uh, policies in terms of, of things like harm reduction, in terms of actually making sure that communities are benefiting rather than corporations, in terms of thinking about all the different smaller ways that our drug policies impact people, whether it's through bias and who's being arrested for like smoking a joint on the street even if if cannabis is legalized or thinking about who is able to get that business license. Like, you know, there's so much that we can, we can pay attention to and tap into that's like the stories of people who are really doing the work. And it's really just becomes a question of like, what are we paying attention to? Because, you know, as, as I've done my own research into, you know, this question and, you know, you asked me about grassroots politics, grassroots democracy, um, on one hand, I, I've started to understand some, a lot of the barriers, but I've also just been blown away by how many people are doing such amazing work, and we never hear about it.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: so I think that's that's another really important piece is uh, you know who the people who are really doing that inspirational work at the local level in your own community. Finding those people, getting to know them, and figuring out how you can support them, like that—that that matters a lot more than who you vote for, I think.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, that's where it starts, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talking a bit back a little bit ago, you mentioned how you can. This day and age, we've got the internet; we can do our own research and whatnot. Uh, it made me think of something back during the last uh, elections. Uh, a coworker who was used to voting. Just down party lines, and we'd had a couple conversations, and and he he was kind of leaning toward my way of thinking, you know. Which my way of thinking is, I don't believe in either party, I don't believe in any party. I think they all ought to be abolished, is, is what I think. Because like I said earlier, I think we should vote for for ideas, not parties. We should elect people, not politicians. And I vote for Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Independents. You know, I, I don't claim any party. I vote for whoever I think is the best for my wants, desires, and needs,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? Which is what we're supposed to do. And, and so we've had several of those kind of conversations and, and he said, you know, what do I do? You know, all I hear is the, the BS on the news, you know, and, and that's of course their campaign slogans as well. So
2: mm-hmm.
0: what do I do? I said, real simple. Take a Saturday afternoon, you and your wife sit down, and uh, first, look up all the candidates that actually are going to be on a ballot that you can mm-hmm. or can't, you can vote for. Because the ones that you can't vote for don't matter to you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's that's number one. Differentiate who you who matters to you and who don't, because you stop listening to the ones who don't matter to you. If you can't mm-hmm. vote for them, they can't affect you, not directly anyway. You know. And mm-hmm. then I said once you get that list, then simply sit down. And look up their website, see what they what they say, what's their platform, what's their messaging. And then it's you, you sort a of simple simple thought process that can occur as you're reading through that that information. Say, I agree or I disagree. Okay, I like this guy and I don't like this one. Mm-hmm. That's right? as simple as that. I said, you can do it a couple hours in this day and age. I said, 40 years ago, we didn't have that. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to actually do a little digging if you wanted to dig into somebody, who find out who somebody was. You know, now it's it's right there at your fingertips, and and it's amazing how many people won't take one afternoon, you know, but they'll argue for days about what they heard on TV. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yep, you got it.
0: It's <clears throat> mind boggling. Yeah.
1: I mean, the, that's the question. What is this person going to do, and how is it going to impact the things that I care about? And yeah, I mean, that—that is—that is the the way to to uh, uh, approach it. I think one of the things that's so interesting is when you talk to really wealthy people, really wealthy, powerful people, the types of of economic and political elites that you and I will never meet, uh, that live in a complete bubble. You better believe that's what they're doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. They know how policies are going to impact their interests and they participate in the system accordingly. They don't care what party it is. What they care about is how can I get get away with not paying taxes? You know, who's, who's going to give me the most, uh, you know, uh, who's going to give me the the loosest, uh, the least amount of regulations or who's, who's going to, you know, pass laws that are in the favor of my business or, you know, who's going to, You know, all of those kinds of things, that's how they're thinking about it. They're not paying attention to the rhetoric. They're not paying attention to, oh, I like this person or I don't like that person. They see it in a very instrumental way, and that's how politics should work. These people are just vehicles. They're just instruments for us to collectively figure out how we want to solve problems. And yeah, I mean I mean I think I think that is a big part of it and and then, you know, like like we said before, I think what really scares me is the areas not the places where the parties disagree but the areas where the parties agree on things that are, you know, objectively harmful. And the war on drugs and mass incarceration happens to be one of them there is there is, you know, yeah. at the federal level there's a bipartisan consensus. So yeah. You know, and we've even seen Democrats in the in the 90s. As much as people associate drug reform with with Democrats or or liberals, liberal Democrats, you know, pushed all of these really harsh laws in in the 90s, yeah. and they haven't done much to uh, change them at all. So, you know, maybe it's not just about maybe it's not just about parties. You know, maybe it's a it's about uh you know issues policies. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's that's my whole point. That's been my point for probably the better part of thirty years, but <laughs> thinking about it from a party perspective,,
2: mm-hmm.
0: think about it from a policy perspective. how are the policies gonna affect you? Mm-hmm. you know uh, yeah, we got our work cut out for us, no doubt,
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and this is one of the reasons why you know why I like being an educator and like I like doing research because it doesn't you know we 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 ask this question you know what what are these policies and how are they going to impact us for me that's what that's what social science does best I, you know we can actually do research we can actually try to figure out not just how do i think this is going to impact things but you know what what's the actual impact of a, of a certain policy you know Ooh. and uh so that's i think another part of it is is the research and asking these questions, uh, sure. how are policies going to impact us? And and there's no shortage of of information out there. Um, you know, it's just not it's not as eye catching. You know, unfortunately, when I when I publish a, an academic paper, it's not quite as eye catching as a as a uh, you know Fox News or CNN headline sure. about what what a certain party's doing. So. Yeah, yeah, I mean, these these are all kind of conundrums that I think we all kind of need to think through for people that are passionate about uh, change or making people's lives better.
0: Yeah, you the, the, the brought up a good point there. That we haven't hit on uh, the Fox News headlines and, or a, ABC News for that mm-hmm. matter. doesn't have to be Fox. Uh, people need to understand that in this age of information, yeah, there's a lot of bogus information out there. And and a lot of it is coming from some of the radical media outlets on both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh you've got to be able to weed through it and go beyond it and, and get the actual information. Everything is verifiable. Mm-hmm. Everything I, I've not had any problem debunking or completely uh destroying different ideas and and things that have been floating around out on the internet since it's come about it's just a matter of taking the time to do it so many mm-hmm. people today uh in my opinion are in too big of a hurry and they see a headline which is is 9 times out of 10 today nothing but clickbait mhm and they don't read the story if they read yeah. the story they realize that it really had nothing to do with what the headline even said
1: so yeah i mean this is something that i see right now when it comes to the moral panic about The idea that the crime rate has gone up, for instance.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So it's not surprising that after a year of lockdown, a year and a half of lockdown, people finally being back out in the world, you know, and things opening up a little bit more, that there's going to be more opportunities for crime. We also know the economy is not not doing great. A lot of folks are struggling. So I would be shocked if there wasn't a little bit of an uptick in, let's say, shoplifting and petty, petty crimes like that.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: But what's interesting is I was just reading a, a newspaper article earlier today that someone posted on Twitter where it wasn't until actually the 14th paragraph down of this whole article fearmongering about crime rates going up and how we need more police on the streets and how, you know, businesses are, are being really hurt by shoplifting and all this kind of stuff. It wasn't until almost near the end of the article that they gave it, they put it in context and said that, you know, in comparison to last year, rates are actually lower. It's just that, you know, over the past month things have gotten bad. Not putting things in context at all. If, if, you know, so even just thinking about something like crime, if you paid attention to the media and you paid attention to headlines, and and, and it's just these sort of instances where. The media is asking, let's say, the local police chief to weigh in on something or, you know, they're reporting anecdotes of, of people who, you know, maybe have ex- think that crime is going up. You could totally miss the overwhelming fact that we live in a time where crime rates are extremely low than any time in the past three or four decades
3: mm-hmm. that,
1: you know. All of this fear mongering around a, a rise in crime is really just to attract clicks. It's to attract clicks, and it's because uh, the media outlets oftentimes want to protect their relationship to get uh, information from the government and, and police departments, which allows the government and police departments to also be able to put their spin on the story. Which is unfortunate because, like any other uh, organization, you know, they have pretty clear interests, you know, so I think that's one of the other things that I try to pay attention to and I'll, I'll, you know, like I said, oftentimes we can see how this impacts our our policy debates. so just bringing it back to the war on drugs, uh, one thing that I've noticed in the conversation, the the public and media conversation about drug policy, there is a false consensus that. What is at really at issue with the war on drugs is the idea that there is this massive, violent, criminal threat that comes from either uh, foreign countries or inner city communities that, um, you know, is basically people of color, non-white people, broadly speaking, as, you know, being dangerous violent criminals and that they somehow need to be controlled and if that they're not controlled through drug policy they need to be controlled in some other way. Yeah. But the fact is the majority of people who distribute drugs are white. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and not even just because white people are the majority of the population like white people are more likely to commit drug crimes actually because of because of the the amount of money that it, it it takes, for instance, to to purchase and sell drugs, the amount of personal risk. Yeah. Um, police obviously target communities that have less power to push back against those laws, um, which obviously then creates a consensus based on these outcomes, like who's in prison or who's being arrested, that allows people to assume That that must be a direct representation of how many crimes are being committed. So even among people who are very staunchly staunchly pro-reform, there is a massive misunderstanding about the way that discrimination in the criminal legal system is uh, creating a false narrative about who is actually even uh, breaking the law. And, and so I even think about things like that. You know, those kind of misconceptions can really make it so that we, as a society, when we go to solve an issue, are not as attentive to important aspects of it. So I think you know this this myth about who is actually breaking drug laws and all of the discrimination and targeting that shapes who's actually arrested and incarcerated, um, that makes it so that a lot of people don't actually take seriously the need for uh, equity reforms on the other side. And I think, yeah. you know, so so that's part of the story that I think needs to get out there more, that the media has really contributed to reinforcing a lot of these, uh, you know, uh, racist myths about what the quote-unquote drug problem actually looks like, Um yeah. You know, and so that's something that that I think really needs to be a a bigger part of the conversation. If people just have that raw data of looking at, you know, there's all of this evidence of discrimination taking place. There's all of this evidence of certain communities being targeted. And there's all of this evidence of, you know, perverse incentives for everyone who's involved in the legal system to be harsher towards people who are less powerful, um, you know, that really shifts the conversation to where we're not only thinking about it as an issue of like, not only think about it as just like sort of a common sense reform issue, it's very popular, but like I said, like really looking at this as a reason why we have such massive racial inequality among many others. And, um, you know, having people be a little more critical about some of those stereotypes that they encounter, you know, as I mentioned at the very beginning, and I don't, I don't know if, uh, you know, I don't know if if the audio was good at that point, but I mentioned that the media matters because when people don't have direct experience with something, the media gives them stories and images they can use to fill that in. And I think that's that's absolutely true with how people think about drugs, drug use, selling drugs. The media fills that in with very specific images and stories that end up not being true. It also makes it so that people have uh, issues, people have a difficult time empathizing with the people who are negatively impacted by the war on drugs because of these myths that we have Mm -hmm. about, um, you know, about gangs or violence or about, you know— the idea that uh you know violent criminals uh you know all of these different kind of kind of words that that dehumanize the victims of these policies, um, yeah, so I think I think that's another part of it there you know part of of what I like to uh, really bring in is that that one myth about who is who is the actual population of people who are actually using and selling drugs has made it so that even very reform minded people still uh have totally misconstrued you know what the stakes are here.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, exactly what I figured would happen is we would go on and on and on. I knew it was going to be a good discussion.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that, uh, I'm very fortunate to have a job where I've tricked someone into paying me for talking about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, Wish I could very, do that. <laughs> very, very lucky. Yeah, you know, I don't know if it was worth it to, uh, to go through all the, all the stress of, of graduate school and all that other stuff, but it's one of the nice things about, about what I do is, True. uh yeah 'cause i I'll, I'll do it anyway for free, so yeah
0: yeah no, was, so tell tell her tell our listeners where uh they can find you if they want to reach out to you, where they can find your book, all that good stuff,
1: sure, yeah, so my book is called debating the Drug war uh Race Politics and the media um it's available you know pretty much any any online bookseller. Uh, it's out through Rutledge Press. If you want to buy it directly from the bookseller, um, okay. I also, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Amazon because of their their labor practices, but you know, so I would say buy it on Bookshop.org, which is like a, a better website where they're using like local bookstores as their as their suppliers. It's good for local businesses. Okay. Um, but please check out that book if you like the things that we were talking about. It deals with a lot of these issues. And I try to write it in a way that's really accessible and engaging. Uh, Chris, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the book once I get you a copy. We can have, maybe have another discussion sometime in the future.
0: Sure. Um, we'll be always want to have people back for sure.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's just my name. So Michael Rosino, uh, you know, my website, michaelrosino.com. I managed to, to snag up all those things that were in my name. So I'm pretty easy to find. But uh, I really want to thank you for having me. This was a fun way to spend a a Sunday afternoon kind of chopping it up with you about this stuff. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate it.
0: Well, we appreciate you coming on. And and as always, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Absolutely. Gramps Place, where Gramps and his guests discuss all things of public interest and anything else that might need a little changing here in the good old USA. From ending the drug war and freeing those wrongfully in prison for crimes that have no victim, to making government more like what our forefathers intended of we the people again. Gramps talks with doctors, scientists, politicians, and more, so you can make your own decisions on important issues in the USA. Be sure to subscribe where you get your podcasts or visit GrampsPlace.net today. And as always, thank you for listening to Gramps Place.